Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, everyone. Um, just a big hello to all of you at Westside, all of you at Battersea, all of you online, and to everyone in the room as well. Um, I'm Viv, and together with Steve, uh, we get to co-lead Vineyard 61 Church. Absolute privilege. Um, we've been in a series over the last four weeks of journeying with Jesus through his life. And today, we are journeying with him as he is on the cross. And there are so many angles that we could look at when we look at the cross. It's so multidimensional. There are so many different layers of of meaning when we look at what Jesus did at the cross. And there's the aspect of, uh, of it being a courtroom where the cross deals with sin on a justice level and a legal level. There's, uh, there's the angle of it being a statement of victory over death. There's a statement of um, what Jesus has accomplished through his death being a victory. And there's, a, there's so many different angles that we can look at today. But I'm wanting to um, look at one thing in particular. And that is the aspect of being reconciled to God through forgiveness. And just like Kim, Kimra was saying earlier, that it's so easy to fall asleep to what God, is, what God has actually done for us. And it's so easy to become numb or over-familiar with the power of the cross uh, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time. But my prayer today is that God would speak to us in a new way, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for decades or whether you're yet to follow him. And I believe that as we go through some of the phrases of Jesus' final words from the cross, you're going to find that they still speak today. They still have the power to disrupt and change your life. So I just ask you to open yourselves up this morning to being reminded again of what God has done for you on the cross. I've got quite a long passage from Luke 23 to read this morning. Luke 23, verses 32 to 49. The words should come up on the screen, or please turn to them in your Bibles. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. 
and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Such powerful words. I wonder what your last words will be. Often the last things that come from our mouths are significant. But several people in history have said some famous phrases as they were dying. Bob Marley apparently said, money can't buy life. Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored with it all, and then he died. (laughs) I remember my grandma saying that as my grandpa was dying, some of his final words were, look, look, Kit, as he pointed to the corner of his hospital room. And she was like, what, darling? And all she could see was this old lady dribbling in the corner. And he said, there's Jesus in all his glory. What incredible words of comfort that he spoke for her. And just knowing that he was just about to meet with Jesus. And the beauty of the Gospels is that they actually give us some of Jesus' final words. Do you know what's going through the mind of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross? We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. And I think these are some of the most iconic and timely and timeless words that are ever uttered. He says a number of phrases which have so much meaning. But the one I'm going to talk about today is where he says these words of forgiveness. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. What they do. Now, I'm aware this is jumping into the middle of a narrative around the events of the crucifixion. So at this point, Jesus has been, a, has been in the Garden of Gethsemane, like Steve was talking about last week. His friends fell asleep. He's betrayed. He's handed over to soldiers. His disciples flee. He goes to a corrupt and unjust trial where he's falsely accused. He's flogged and beaten. He's handed over to the Roman authorities. The soldiers mock and insult him. And finally, he's been led out onto a hill outside of the city, the very same city that God had chose to to host his presence on earth. And then we just read these words that we've just read, don't we? As he's hanging on the cross, these traumatic, haunting words. And he doesn't just die any kind of death. He dies a death on the cross. This was probably the most shameful, shocking death that anyone could ever die, possibly even until today. And Gentiles were were so offended by the cross that they refrained from even mentioning the word cross. And we can look at it today after 2,000 years of sentimentalizing the cross, and we have it on necklaces and T-shirts and stickers, and we, we fail to see the shame that was associated with it. And it's not just the shame of the cross, it's the agony of the cross. In order to breathe, a person had to push and pull himself up, causing the wounds on, his, on the back from the scourging to rub painfully on the wood of the cross. The nails in the wrists and the feet would crush or sever the nerves, causing bolts of pain to continually flow through the body. And in fact, the, word, the, the most extreme word in the, in the English language to use uh, to describe pain is the word excruciating. And that comes from the Latin word excruciatos, which means out of the cross. 
And so this is what Jesus is experiencing. He's the, the total abandonment of his friends. And here he is dying a shameful, painful death. Verse 35 says this, the people stood watching. The people stood watching. Just several days earlier, these are the same people who, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they're waving their palm leaves and throwing their coats down and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They'd put their hope in him. That tremendous expectation that finally all the rumors about the kingdom of God and all of the momentum that Jesus had in his ministry we're finally now heading to a showdown. Christ is coming. And they're like, at last, the showdown we've been longing for. But it stops. Many of them had heard him teach. Many of them had probably been healed by Jesus. But here he is, and apparently he's failed. The religious leaders had the ability to turn the crowds against Jesus. And now they joined in the sneering. In verse 35, it says, even the rulers sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. They were insulting, taunting, and sneering at Jesus, mocking his claims to be the Messiah. And you see, in their paradigm, according to the law in Deuteronomy 21, anyone who hung on a tree was cursed. They had no framework that Jesus being put, on, put to death on a tree could be the Messiah that they longed for. And it's true, Jesus was being cursed. They just couldn't comprehend that he was being cursed for their sin, not for his. And on top of that, you have the soldiers who are mocking Jesus. Verse 36, the soldiers also came up and they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. The Romans back, back then were so secure in their leadership um, and in their empire, and this sort of, this sort of threat that, that came up, they could just crush these rebellions. They were not phased by it. They had hundreds, hundreds of years of experience doing this. So, you know, to see a rebellion with this man Jesus, this troublemaker, it wasn't a big deal to them. They put a crown of thorns on him, they put a purple robe on him, and they beat him and they mocked him. And one commentator says they sort of set this up like an ironic parade, you know, oh, great leader, come and save us. Great king, where's your army? Save yourself, save yourself, they said. What they didn't know is that he could have easily saved himself. Easily saved himself. But he was saving them. Just a total misunderstanding of what was happening in that moment. So why do we feel the weight of this scene here is Jesus, the sinless son of God on earth. And his ministry, it's been about the poor, the broken, the oppressed, the outcast. He went about healing all who were sick and under the power of the devil and doing good to all. And yet he's a threat to the way that life was. So what do they do? They challenge him, they slander him, they crucify him. And here he is put to death, all the power surrounding him, conspiring and yelling, crucify him. And he's been abandoned. He's crucified on a cross. And you, you, it's just impossible to even imagine that place. And yet, how does Jesus respond in that moment? This is what Jesus prays. Just a very short prayer. And I think it's probably one of the most staggering prayers ever prayed. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
Now, in the Greek, when it says he prayed this prayer, it means that he said this more than once. This is a repeated phrase. So it's not just like Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He says this again and again and again as they crucify him, as they mock him, as they insult him. He is praying for those who are literally killing him. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus says that you have to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And here we see Jesus doing just that. Uh, You know, that's a lovely theory, isn't it? When things are all going well. But when you're going through hell, Jesus does exactly this. He says he loves, he's loving his enemies and praying for those who persecute him. The first thing that Jesus says is father. Father. What, what a reference point that he has on the cross. He still sees the father as sovereign and connected to all of this. And why can Jesus trust him that this prayer will be answered? Because this is the father's heart. The whole reason that Jesus is on the cross is because God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. This is the same father who's running down the road in the parable of the prodigal son to welcome back home the outcast. So Jesus' reference point is this compassionate father who longs to forgive. And so his prayer is lifted up to him, Father. And then he turns around and says this, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they, I think this is even ironic in, in modern society. If someone's sentenced to death, they're often given an opportunity to say a few final words, aren't they, before they die. And I think what they're hoping for is a statement of repentance. You know, I'd like to ask for forgiveness for, from the family of the victims for whom I've committed this crime, or whatever it is. And so they perhaps are asking Jesus to forgive for, um, to ask for forgiveness for his sins in this moment, but he doesn't do that. So here's Jesus asking for the forgiveness of the sins of the people who are putting him on the cross. Such a depth and wonder of forgiveness in this moment. He says, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. He has such a bigger perspective above their limited perspective. And Jesus is almost saying, if you knew who I was, if you actually knew who I was and what I could do for you, you would receive me. Acts 3.17, Peter says on the day of Pentecost, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And even Paul, in his persecution of the Christian church, says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And I just find this incredibly comforting to know that even in my ignorance... Jesus has an awareness and a mercy and an understanding of my failures before him. We know on the day of Pentecost, just literally 40 or 50 days later after this, after this moment, 3,000 Jews in Jerusalem were converted and baptized. And the message was, you crucified the Lord of glory, but God raised him from the dead. And that cut them to the heart and they responded. God is able to forgive and then build the church on spiritual failures. People who sneered and denied Jesus. Can you actually believe that? There are accounts of Pharisees becoming followers of Jesus. Even those who conspired to kill him, they repented. There are accounts of the soldiers becoming followers of Jesus. And the message from the cross is that if you've denied Jesus and failed him as a disciple, the cross can grant you forgiveness. 
If you've betrayed Jesus, the cross can give you forgiveness. If you've hated him, if you've cheated, and yet you turn to Jesus, the cross will forgive it all. So this is just really, really, really good news. Isn't it good news? And it means that God can forgive anything that we've committed. And so if, you've, if you're here today and watching online or, um, and you just have a, a, a deep sense of shame or angst, um, if you've had one of those weeks, maybe you're thinking, do you know what? If people around me actually knew what I've done this week, they'd probably move a couple of chairs away. Bring your sin to Jesus. He will not condemn you. He will bring his mercy to bear on anything that you've done. The cross is such good news to humanity that there's no sin, no guilt, no shame that we've committed that God cannot forgive. He builds his church on the very failures of those who crucified him. I remember a time in my life many, many, many years ago where I read the story of the woman who broke the jar of alabaster ointment and wept over Jesus. And people, were, people around him were horrified at what the woman was doing. But Jesus' response was, those who are forgiven much love much. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not sure that I feel like I've been forgiven that much. I thought, I'm a pretty good person. There's so many more people far more sinful than me. I haven't done loads wrong. But I saw that connection in that moment. I'm not sure I loved God very much, if I'm honest. It was more like those who are forgiven little love little. I don't know whether anyone else can resonate with that. And at this point, uh, there began a process where God kind of began to strip me back and begin to reveal the darkness that was in me and how I was just so far from perfect. And this wasn't in a shaming way at all. But I came to a point where I just realized my absolute need of a savior and my need of forgiveness. And it was this revelation of grace for me where I, was, I, I realized that there was nothing that I could do to make God love me. There was nothing that I could do that I couldn't be forgiven of. And the power of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross just really started to sink in for me at that moment. Even recently, I was... I was struggling with forgiving someone, and I was chatting to God about it. And I was starting to feel a bit entitled, if I'm honest. I don't know whether anyone gets like that. You know, and you just think, I deserve a bit more than this. And um, I just felt God nudge me again and just say, Viv, remember how much you've been forgiven. Just remember how much you've been forgiven. Remember again. And I just was reminded, just it kind of like hit me. Like I was just reminded of his forgiveness of me. And my heart was softened again towards this other person. And I, I know this is what happens. When I drift away from God, I can become really critical and hard-hearted. And I forget that I'm in need of forgiveness just as much as anyone else. And this is, this is where the cross stands out in comparison to other major religions. None of them offer grace and mercy like the cross. Most of them have no awareness of a personal relationship with God. And if any of them do, then it's certainly not a father that runs down the road. It's more like someone who demands that you get your act together. Um, there's a theologian or a reverend called Marshall Hoffman, and he says this. He says, the door of the kingdom of God swings open on the hinges of forgiveness. And I love this. This is what Jesus is granting us, guys. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
in hanging on the cross, he's actually accomplishing what he's speaking about. The forgiveness he's just spoken about is being achieved by him dying on the cross. And forgiveness, it's never about saying it's all right, it doesn't matter. Forgiveness is the most costly thing in the world. This is how the the Phillips translation of Ephesians 1 verse 7 puts it. It is through the Son, at the cost of his own blood, that we are redeemed, freely forgiven through that full and generous grace which has overflowed into our lives. I'm just going to repeat that. It is through the Son, at the cost of his own blood, that we are redeemed, freely forgiven through that full and generous grace which has overflowed into our lives. On the, on the cross, Jesus took the full debt of our sins, the penalties that we owed, and he settled those debts with his own valuable life. This is the debt-cancelling work of the cross. God's radiant, glorious, and perfect son was given to settle the largest, ugliest debt in all the universe. And the entire sum of our ugly rebellion and hatred and evil, Christ settled that debt and repaid it for us in a supreme act of surrender, obedience, and trust by giving himself up on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin for us. Guys, we just need to have a fresh revelation of this today. God took him who had no debts to embody our debt. And at the same time, his righteousness became our infinitely treasured value. It was transferred to us. What an incredible transaction that's been made for us by his grace. This, you know, we're completely debt-free. We're all liberated because of this transaction. That's the good news of the cross. And uh, today, just know that the cross of Jesus was for you. Had there been only one human being on the planet that sinned and that person was you, everything that Jesus went through, he would have gone through for you. For me, for every one of us. As we come down to land, I'd love to invite the worship bands to come up at all the sites. We're, um, as we're on the journey with Jesus to the cross, there's an invitation that as we receive his forgiveness, we then get to give it away and forgive others. And forgiveness is costly. I know it's costly. And I'm not up here saying, just click your fingers and this is all going to be fine. When, everyone, when anyone does anything terrible to you, there is a tremendous amount of pain. And I'm not going to talk about how we, get, we can journey further into, this, um, into forgiveness this morning. That's a whole other talk for another time. But I believe that knowing how much we are forgiven and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to respond like Christ when we're deeply wronged, this is the start. What does it look like today to just have a fresh revelation of how much we've been forgiven? And as we receive Jesus' forgiveness, our hearts are just softened again to those around us. That's the starting place. So why don't we pray? Father, thank you so much for the cross. 
Thank you so much for your forgiveness. Thank you that we can just have the slate completely wiped clean. And would you fill us again this Easter time with a fresh revelation of how much we're forgiven? Help, help those of us who actually just don't have the awareness of how much it costs you to die for us. Maybe we've journeyed a bit too far into entitlement. Help us to receive your grace again this morning. And help those of us who think we're so unlovable that we couldn't possibly forgiven, be forgiven to understand this morning that you have completely forgiven us. You've exchanged our sin for your righteousness with your death on the cross. Thank you for this costly forgiveness. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.